Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Speech Analysis on the Public Speakers Podcast. In today's episode, we're going over wearable tech that helps you navigate by touch by Keith Kirkland. Uh, if you ha- if you want to check out the YouTube video for this talk, even if it's not my reaction, but just the talk in general, I would definitely recommend it because I really, really like this talk. Um, main takeaways from this is, number one, there is a good beauty and art to how Keith takes a complex topic and makes it simple. So the process of going from complication to oversimplification in order to really make it relatable. And then two, the use of analogies and metaphors. I think it's really, really deep and hopefully my analysis... Uh, attempts to explain some of that stuff but nonetheless i think the way keith communicates by making things simple and by using analogies and metaphors to um explain that simplification of complex ideas is a really really awesome uh thing and then the passion and energy and body movement if you want to actually check out the speech um is also pretty good in this talk as well so without further ado let's get into the talk i hope you all enjoy and i'll see you on the next episode of speech analysis do you remember your first kiss or that time you burned the roof of your mouth on a hot slice of pizza? What about playing tag or duck, duck, goose as a child? These are all instances where we're using touch to understand something. And it's the basis of haptic design. Haptic means of or relating to the sense of touch. And we've all been using that our entire lives. I was working on my computer when my friend, seeing me hunched over typing, walked over behind me. She put her left thumb into the left side of my lower back while reaching her right index finger around to the front of my right shoulder, instinctively I sat up straight. In one quick and gentle gesture, she had communicated how to improve my posture. The paper I was working on at that very moment centered around developing new ways to teach movement using technology. I wanted to create a suit that could teach a person kung fu. Um, Cool, so let's talk about that introduction. Um, So I thought that introduction was actually pretty good. Um, so there was a beginning where there was uh, asking of questions from the audience in terms of like, have you experienced this or like, do you remember the first time? And then all of those experiences or questions culminate back to the fact that the universal um, thing between them is the idea of touch. Um, so that hopefully got the audience hooked in terms of just like uh, trying to remember their first kiss or their first um, time eating a hot pizza and then seeing where that relationship goes towards. Um, so that beginning was a play to universalism, trying to get uh, the audience to relate to some of the experiences he was talking about. Now we're going to see where that goes in terms of uh, his project of trying to create something that teaches you Kung Fu. But I had no idea how to communicate movement without an instructor being in the room. And in that moment, it became crystal clear. Touch. If I have vibrating motors where she had placed each of her fingers, paired with motion capture data of my current and optimal posture, I could simulate the entire experience without an instructor needing to be in the room. But there was still one important part of the puzzle that was missing. If I want you to raise your wrist two inches off of your lap using vibration, how do I tell you to do that? Do I put a motor at the top of your wrist so you know to lift up? Or do I put one at the bottom of your wrist so it feels like you're being pushed up? There were no readily available answers because there was no commonly agreed upon haptic language to communicate information with. So my co-founders and I set out to create that language. And the first device we built was not a kung fu suit. (laughs) But in a way, it was even more impressive because of its simplicity and usefulness. We started with the use case of navigation, which is a simplified form of movement. We then created Wayband 
a wrist-wearable device that could orient a user to what a destination using vibrating cues. We would ask people to spin around and to stop in a way that they felt was the right way to go. Informally, we tried this with hundreds of people, and most could figure it out within about 15 seconds. It was that intuitive. Initially, we were just trying to get people out of their phones and back into the real world. But the more we experimented, the more we realized that those who stood to benefit most from our work were people who had little or no sight. When we first approached a blind organization, they told us. So this is actually really good. So this is where we see sort of the transition between the technology that was created for one cause, but all, but then shifted towards another cause, which was actually even more beneficial for a certain segment of the population. So the transition here between um, the technology that was being used in in whatever fashion it was originally planned to be used has fundamentally changed, and that is most likely going to be able to dictate the rest of this talk and fill in sort of the larger themes about what it means to use wearable technology to advance um, human. Uh, human excitement or just like human experiences to be able to achieve better things. Don't build a blind device. Build a device that everyone can use, but that's optimized for the blind experience. We created our company WearWorks with three guiding principles. <laughs> Make cool stuff, create the greatest impact we can in our lifetimes, and reimagine an entire world designed for touch. And on November 5th, 2017, Wayban helped a person who was blind run the first 15 miles of the New York City Marathon without any sighted assistance. It didn't get him through the entire race due to the heavy rain, but that didn't matter. <laughs> We approved the point that it was possible to navigate a complex route using only touch. So why touch? The skin has an innate sensitivity akin to the eye's ability to recognize millions of colors, or the ear's ability to recognize complex pitch and tone. Yet, as a communications channel, it's been largely relegated to Morse code-like cell phone notifications. If you were to suddenly receive a kiss or a punch, your reaction would be instinctive and immediate. Meanwhile, your brain would be playing catch-up on the back end and understand the details of what just occurred. And compared to instincts, conscious thought is pretty slow. But it's a lightning bolt compared to the snail's pace of language acquisition. I spent a considerable amount of time learning Spanish, Japanese, German, and currently Swedish, with varying degrees of failure. <laughs> But within those, that was really good, good humor. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, it was just funny. So it's good to be funny. Failures were kernels of how different languages are organized. That gave our team insight into how to use the linguistic order of well-established languages as inspiration for an entirely new haptic language, one based purely on touch. It also showed us when using language mechanics wasn't the best way to deliver information. In the same way, a smile is a smile across every culture. What if there was some underlying mechanism of touch that transcended linguistic and cultural boundaries, a universal language of sort? You see, I could give you buzz, 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 and you would eventually learn that that particular vibration means stop. But as haptic designers, we challenged ourselves: What would it be like to design stop? Well, based on context, most of us have the experience of being in a vehicle 
and having that vehicle stop suddenly, along with our body's reaction to it. So if I wanted you to stop, I could send you a vibration pattern, sure. Or I could design a haptic experience that just made stopping feel like it was the right thing to do. And that takes more than an arbitrary assignment of haptic cues to meanings. It takes a deep empathy. It also takes the ability to distill human experience into meaningful insights, and then into haptic gestures and products. Haptic design is going to expand the human ability to sense and respond to our environment, both physical and virtual. There's a new frontier, touch. And it has the power to change how we all see the world around us. Thank you. Okay, so that was a wearable tech that helps you navigate by touch by Keith Kirkland. Um, I thought this was really a fantastic speech, to be honest. Um, and, and the reason for that is because this is a very complex idea that someone is trying to communicate, which is um, the, the ability to communicate uh, touching in relation towards how we can feel touching in terms of like this analogy with stop, right? Like, how do we design something that just feels like you should stop versus sending a vibration that is, is uh, translated towards the idea of stopping, but rather just feeling the idea of stopping? That is a very complex thing to communicate, and I think Keith just did a really amazing job articulating what that requires and what the nuances that uh, inter uh, requires in terms of the technology and the people designing the technology in order to come up with a solution that is cohesive and that makes sense um, to be able to navigate the world by wearable technology that uh, is grounded through touch. Um, so I think the idea is super complex, but like the fact that I could explain it kind of makes a lot of sense to me. That It was a complex idea that was simplified but did not trade off the complexity of the idea in order to be simplified, which was a really important thing. And it, it is a important thing in general when you're trying to communicate something very nuanced and, 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 and different and unique um, to people who aren't in the same field as you, who aren't in the same lab as you, who aren't doing the same research as you, right? They're just people who have their everyday lives but still can be impacted if you can communicate it in the right way. Uh, and I think the analogies that were used here and sort of some of the metaphors and also just the general pausing in, in, uh, at certain moments to, to get the audience to be able to understand it, along with some of the humor, made it a really good way um, to be able to understand the complex idea that Keith is talking about. So overall, I thought this was a pretty awesome speech, public speaking wise, I think it was good. The main takeaway from this is how to take something complex and make it something easy. I would watch this speech again if you were struggling with like, if say you're giving a STEM conference or you're presenting at a STEM conference and you have a really complex idea but you want to make it seem simple. I would watch this speech over and over again because I've seen a lot of speeches where people try to bring up complex stuff and it doesn't go right when they try to make it simple or try to make it relatable. Um, even the beginning, right, when he was saying like, do you remember this first experience when you touched something? Um, that already has started this appeal to universalism, this appeal to relatability that can get the audience to then understand the next depth of the message you're talking about. Um, so I think Keith just did like a fantastic job from start to finish in this speech. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out if you're trying and keep watching this speech, if you're trying to understand complexity to simplification and leave comments and ask me questions if you want to know, I will gladly respond and help you out in any way I can. But yeah, thank you guys for watching. Leave a speech in the video that you would like me to review, and I'll see you guys on the next speech analysis. Bye.